Hello, welcome back to the Sun and Moon Sober Living Podcast. If you're listening in for the first time, this is an inclusive space where we explore addiction recovery, mental health, and holistic sober living. My name is Mary Tilson, and I'm a certified recovery coach and yoga and meditation teacher. Before we get into this conversation, I wanted to make sure you're aware of our new virtual membership. As a member, you can join live weekly meetings online with our community and access a variety of resources to support your sobriety and overall well-being. So be sure to check that out in the show notes after the episode if you're interested in learning more. Today on the podcast, I have Gabriella Rosen, who is the founder of Energizing Habits. Gabby's methods are gathered from leading performance experts, including world record holders and shamans, and her own experimentations, which led her to become the youngest eight-figure seller for Spotify. I find the techniques Gabby shares around habits and energy management to be such an important part of sustaining a sober lifestyle, and I'm so excited to share that she's going to be hosting a special workshop inside the membership this month for those of you who are interested in diving deeper into this work. So again, you can find all of the details for that linked in the show notes. And if you find this episode useful, please be sure to share the link with someone who could benefit and leave us a written review. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gabby. Gabby, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about your business, Ohm, and all of your amazing energizing hacks and habit tricks. But before we get into all of that good stuff, I would love to hear about more of your background and what led you into this work in the first place. Yeah, so I typically start my story at Spotify, but I definitely became aware of just habits in general from a young age. I'm the youngest. I was the youngest of four. Now I have a fifth sibling, but that's a different time, different story. So growing up, I was the youngest of four. And I would notice in my siblings when they would do certain behaviors, how good they would feel. So like my oldest brother, if he played video games, then he wouldn't feel good the next day. He would kind of like miss out on dinner and the other activities. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to get in the habit of doing that. And then when my siblings were very active, they felt better. They they were kinder. So I was like, okay, I want to keep doing that. And then of course, being the youngest, just being able to play with your siblings, you got to be good. You got to be consistent with your practice. And so that was always the skill that I had to develop and refine over time. And then when I started working on Spotify is really when it came to the forefront. So I was an intern first. And I remember, you know, those Facebook groups for like, in, were you ever an intern? Yes. Yeah. So before you start the internship program, they put together like a Facebook group and you can kind of check everybody else out. Oh, we didn't yeah. have one of those. No, I was an intern at a post-production house in Chicago. I was basically just grabbing people their meals. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. A true intern experience. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, we had this like Facebook group that we could look at everybody. So I saw that every single person went to an Ivy League school and I did not. So I was kind of freaking out. And the first day I got up at like 4 a.m., I took the first train to New York. It was like a 4.30 train. 
And I was walking into the office at like 7 a.m. I called my dad freaking out. I'm like, everyone's so much smarter than me. Like, what if I just fail miserably? And he's like, as long as you have positive attitude and you work hard, I'll be proud of you. And again, a habit of just showing up early. I was the first one in the office. And I thought along my internship, like people are going to catch on that you just get noticed by showing up early and asking to help. And nobody else did it. And so I was one of two interns to be asked back for a following summer. And then eventually I started full time. And I constantly incorporated those habits of just show up early, get your work done and be consistent with it. And it led me to really good results. I became the youngest seller in the globe by about a decade. And really when I was implementing these habits, I was thinking about how much they energized me throughout my day. Because oftentimes when you're early in your career, it's like you kind of feel like a robot. You're just getting all the work out, but you're you're not feeling so energized by it. And so I started really looking into that. How can I show up, feel good, and also perform at my best? And I know we'll get into it with, you know, hanging out with Wim Hof and <laughs> spending some time in Costa Rica with shamans, but I got to learn all that ancient wisdom and really tie it in throughout my day. And now, of course, start my own company. Yeah, it's so incredible. And did you have, were there mentors at the time that were teaching you that kind of thing? Because I feel like now we have so much access through social media and podcasts. And of course, there was some of that, but it wasn't as popular back then, right? Like when you were first starting off your career at Spotify? Yeah, exactly. It was all books. So I'd always read a book on the way into Spotify when I commuted. And it was really my dad who instilled that positive attitude (laughs) and hard work and just being consistent with it. It's like, you don't need to tell everybody that you're working hard. You just need to put your head down and actually do it. And so that always stuck with me. Like, don't talk about it, just do it. Yeah, that's amazing that you had that work ethic. Because I remember I was at a digital media agency, OMD, and we actually worked with Spotify. So I'm curious if we ever maybe cross paths at some point (laughs) during that time. But there was so much distraction and so much opportunity to socialize and go out and kind of buzz around the office chatting to people. So it's amazing that you had that work ethic. Yeah, everyone at Spotify would always be like, oh, you're definitely going to the clubs after work. And I'm like, no, I'm literally here because I was working 80 hours a week. I'm like, I'm literally here Monday through Sunday. So it was good that I had the opportunity to focus on work. I think in those years, instead of focusing so much on like the party scene, but yeah, it's like you entertain so often. And then that entertainment is completely around alcohol and dinners. Uh, But another thing I always knew is when I got my job at Spotify, it was basically like two women who are no longer there. They basically led the team, had told me, you're young. We don't think that you're going to do well here. Like We think you're basically going to fail. And for me, going into my career with people telling me that was so beneficial because every time I had the opportunity to drink at an event, I typically chose not to because I'm like, if I ever overstep that boundary, (laughs) they're going to go back to you are young and you don't deserve to be here. And so that was a really big motivation for me. Oh, wow. So how did you make the decision then from having a really successful career at Spotify, which would be like a dream job for so many people to then leaving that position? 
Yeah. So I really, I did love Spotify. It's a great company. It's not like I ever had a moment where I'm like, uh, I, I mean, early on I did feel robotic and I'm like, all right, I got to figure out a solution, but especially my last few years, I'm like, this is fun. This is great. I had been doing these workshops, the energizing habit workshops, just on the side for about three years. And people kept reaching out to me for help. And so that's really when it it turned into a side hustle. And I want to go a little bit further back, actually, because it's a little bit of a crazy story that I don't typically share. But in reality, what happened is that I was at my computer one day and I, I would go in early. I would prospect clients and I clicked on a link that said like enter to win a contest to win a trip to Cape Town, South Africa. And so I clicked on that link and I didn't think anything of it was out with my friends that weekend. And I was like, I really want to go to Cape Town. And I didn't remember that I had entered this contest. So that like Monday or Tuesday, I got an email saying congrats out of over 20,000 entries. Like you're the sole winner to this trip. And oh my gosh. I'm freaking out. But at the same time, I was so like type A, I just want to work out and go to work and get promoted. And so I went on this co-working trip, which was 13 people, eight different countries. And the first day we had to go around and say our wish and our gift. And I was like shaking in my boots because people were saying such impressive gifts. Like, okay, it can help you build a successful business and then sell it for like $20 million. Or like, I can help you build your global brand. And I said, I just kind of like whimpered out that I could help people build habits. Like that was the one thing I was really good at. And in that moment, everyone was like, that's the thing I want. Can you create a workshop on that? I'm like, but I don't know how I do this. And so that's really when the workshop was born. And then I got to bring it back to Spotify, did it just for fun for three years on the side. And then um, COVID, people are reaching out to me for help. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a side hustle. I have more time now. I don't need a commute. And I charged for it because my brother was like, if he, I was going to do it for free still. And my brother's like, if you don't charge for it, it's not a business. Like you can't even call it a side hustle. So I charged for it. And then yet yeah, it morphed over time. Wow. That's such a powerful story about your Cape Town trip, because that's such a thing, isn't it? Where we have these limiting beliefs that are like, oh, you know, this thing that I'm really passionate about, it's like a silly little thing and it's not that important, but that all of these people you were surrounded by with, when you told that story, I was getting the goosebumps. Yeah, I know. It's like we, I think the biggest thing I've learned too, is that we often don't know the thing that we're best at. Because it's so, it's just part of who we are. And so we don't notice it. But the people around us, like strangers will notice it, or the people that are closest to you will notice it and point it out if you're lucky. Or if you just ask them, like, what do you think I'm best at? But oftentimes it's like, we don't actually even know that thing. Yeah, absolutely. So for, was it after leaving Spotify that you then kind of went on this wellness journey that you've told me about before and got to meet Wim Hof and train with him and all of that stuff? Yeah. While I was at Spotify, I was after work, I would try and consume like as much wellness content as I could and learn about it, not only in like physical health, but also mental health became more important to me, like finding inner peace. 
And then after I left Spotify, I I continued to go deeper into it for like anything that seems a little crazy (laughs) that someone says helps you get to your center. I'm like all for trying. But yeah, I had clients in my own groups who kept bringing up Wim Hof. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to learn the method, like I want to learn it from him because I want to make sure I'm doing it right. So I saw that he was doing a retreat in Spain and I I went and I spent some time with him. And then, yeah, just anything that like pops up, like hanging out with shamans in Costa Rica, that's so cool. It's like they've dedicated their life to getting into their inner flow. And if I can just take one little snippet from that, then it's worth it. And what was that experience like for you in Spain? I have to ask because I love Wim Hof. This community loves talking about cold exposure and breath work and all of that good stuff. So I'd love to hear about what that experience is like for you. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible because to the energy, having everybody around you, who's also has that same intention of going inward, the breath work. I mean, I've like, I think that's probably the deepest I've ever gone in my life. It's yeah. And Wim Hof is like, you know, hitting the drum <laughs> doing his lectures. So that obviously adds to it. And then the the ice exposure in Spain with Wim Hof, I think they made it extra cold. Like it was the most painful ice bath I've ever taken in my life. But it is also so cool because you're with a group of people, again, who all have that same intention and you get to sit in that ice bath together and do it. I didn't do a lot of people would do like the first group with Wim because he would do the ice bath with everybody. But I was never in his group, I don't think, for an ice exposure. But he's such a humble, humble person. Yeah, he seems I mean, just from the videos and everything I've seen of him, he seems like that and also just a lot of fun. And I laughed. I saw a video that you shared on your Instagram where you were walking with a suitcase into the grocery store, getting like an absurd amount of ice. And it just made me think it's such a bonding experience. People who relate to getting in the cold, because it seems like one of those things that like, why would you ever do that? That's painful. That's uncomfortable. But do you still, is that something you still use as a kind of tool or share with other people? Yes, I do. I So when I lived in New York, there's not that many places that really do ice baths. I would always be Googling it. And so I was like, whatever, I'm just going to literally take my suitcase and I'm going to go to the store and put the ice in there. So I would do it once a week. And I found that was enough because I would feel really good on a Sunday. It still reminds me of the importance of doing it. But I think what's so big about ice baths and spending time with shamans and everything that we can do that's where you just go full out. It's like all or nothing sort of thing. Like you, you've never taken an ice bath and you're going into it or you're not feeling great and then you're going to an ice bath. But what I kind of try and remind myself of is why do you do the ice bath and how can you implement those techniques in your real life? So being in an ice bath, it's all about being okay with the uncomfortable, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable And on calls or sales calls for me, if I'm shying away from a question that I know I need to ask in order to move forward, just getting through that discomfort. It's like you can sit in an ice bath so you can ask this question and also get through that discomfort. Yes, I couldn't agree more with you. I think there's so many benefits to that willingness to be with discomfort. And it's such a good training practice for that. 
And so when you came back from those experiences, how did the business um, start to evolve once you left your full-time job at Spotify? Yeah. So after I left my full-time job at Spotify, I started to work about six months after I left, I started to work with companies. So that was and continues to be something that I think helps me make everything I'm doing a lot more practical and easier to understand. Because I think sometimes when you get exposed to like a new idea or a new method, it can feel confusing or complex. And so I'm constantly trying to just make things easy. How can this be easier to understand? And then how can you implement techniques that more easily get your energy up that you can turn into a habit and create that momentum for your life. So it's definitely evolved a lot, not only in that sense, but I'm laughing because I'm sure you can relate to this. I feel like when you're in a job and you're like, I'm going to start my own company, you have these like crazy goals for your company (laughs) and you think it's just all going to happen no matter what in like the perfect timing. And then once you actually start doing the work, you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more to do. And that goal was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always so easy to see people's success from the outside and think, or other, you know, businesses or organizations and think that it's like, oh, I've got this great idea. It's just going to happen as soon as I start taking steps for it. But it's good to hear yeah. about the the challenges and the learning process that haps, happens along the way too. Exactly. And all those moments that you face discomfort, again, going back to the ice bath, it's like you are doing the ice bath. Really, that's why I do everything. Like to get uncomfortable, I'm only doing it so I can implement those techniques in my real life. Like it's great. It increases dopamine and reduces inflammation and brown fat, all of that. Like that's amazing. That's great. But in reality, the thing that I think is the most benefit is just growing that muscle. Absolutely. So where you're at now, how would you describe what you do? How would I describe what I do? Okay. So I would say the corporate, like if I was explaining it to a company, I help employees understand and optimize their energy during key moments. So like 2 to 3 p.m. slump, when they're feeling stressed, when they're wrapping up the day. And then in terms of the individual component, I... Do So it's shifted a little bit. I used to run a personal growth club virtually. And now I've turned that to in-person. So it's wellness dinners and they're very intentional. So what does wellness mean to you? And then all the food and the ingredients are, there's like nothing added that's bad in it. And so just showing up as being transparent, everyone being transparent there, and then also being transparent with what we're giving people to consume. That's so amazing. And it's so important to have those in-person events now too, because we do have so much great stuff happening virtually, but to bring people together, that must be nice. Yeah, exactly. I think a combo is always nice. Like it's great to do things virtually because you get to speak to so many people across the world or like us, you know, we don't have to be in the same location, but we can still have this conversation. And then it's also great to just have that human interactive experience in person. Yeah, 100%. And I love, I find the work that you're doing around energy management is so relevant to the conversations that we have on this podcast around giving up alcohol and sober living, because I think sometimes we fail to acknowledge how draining these really normalized behaviors are 
like drinking alcohol, you know, but I would love to hear like, what has kind of come out of those conversations and workshops and things that you do? I mean, where are people failing to properly manage or optimize their energy in day-to-day life? Yeah. Well, I love how you said earlier too, and you've said this word a few times, just the distraction. It's like, we're constantly being pulled in so many different directions. And the first step is always understanding your energy. Because if you don't understand your energy and how it fluctuates, then you can't understand what distractions are doing to it and what actually helps elevate your energy versus what takes your energy down. So drinking is a really big one. And I think what is most draining and can be most draining about alcohol, even from a social perspective, is the fact that we don't want to say to our friends that we don't want to drink. It's like, can we something, here's other options, or can we get a cup of coffee? And just how much time we waste, how much energy we waste thinking about having that conversation or thinking about how we don't want to drink. So that's a huge suck. And that happens in so many different ways throughout the day. It's like, how often do you think in your mind, should I say something? Should I not say something? I don't want to do this, but I can't say it. How many times throughout your workday do you say, I don't want to jump on a meeting or I'm going to dread this, or I can't wait for it to be over. And I find that's the biggest drainers. We get caught in those like mindless loops when in reality, if we just look at the situation at hand, we can say, okay, my friend wants to go out and drink and I don't want to go out and drink. So I can offer another option or I can say, I'll go out with you, but I'm just not going to drink anything. And then same during the workday, it's like, I'm going to jump on a meeting and that's my reality because I have this job, but how can I just make it a little bit better? And so I'll give a technique here. When we get stressed out or we don't want to do something, even if it's just jumping on a meeting, we start to cave in. So we close off our energy supply which makes us further stressed out, further drained. So oftentimes I just have people and employees hold out their arms before they jump on a meeting because that will make you feel more open and receptive to others. And one of my clients told me the other day, he is a founder and he woke up and he's like, I don't want to do any of my meetings. Like I got a horrible night's sleep. And he said, honestly, just the whole day during every meeting, I say, hold the ends of your table during a meeting. If you don't want to like, obviously open up because that will still open you up. And he's like, the openers got me through my day. And then my meetings actually went well. And so we always have the opportunity to influence our energy in a positive way once we just understand it and what distracts it or drains it. I love that so much. And it just goes to show how worthwhile it is investing and learning these types of small adjustments, because it can transform your whole day, like that example that you just gave. And I think the alcohol example you gave was great because it's so, so relevant. It's one of the biggest things that comes up for people. And it's interesting to hear that that comes up for you too, with clients that you work with, because it's that decision fatigue of like, do I drink? Do I not drink? Should I just have beer? Maybe if I just have one, you know, the the kind of ruminating thoughts and bouncing back, it'll just suck your energy. 
Exactly. And with your, like when you show up to those situations and you just say, oh, I'm not really a drinker or I don't drink or I want to do something like no one cares. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, okay, cool. I don't want to drink either. Or sometimes they do. But what I found, it's so funny because I always think of this example where my girlfriends from college will do trips every couple months and get together. And there's like two big partiers in the group and then two people who are kind of in between who don't really love to drink. And then well, three actually in between a missing one person, and then me who's like, you know, I, I rarely drink. And my energy with alcohol very much now is like, I'm so used to saying no, or I don't really want to drink tonight that when we get together, I'm not doing 10 shots or I'm not even doing like three shots. And one of the big part years is very convincing. And so she always wants everyone to do more and more and more and more. <laughs> and, but she doesn't bother me because my energy is so like, I made this decision and no one's going to convince me otherwise where the people who are in the middle, the three middles, like every time she walks by, they're like taking a shot because they don't want her to bother them of like, I don't want her to be like, you're not drinking enough. And I just realized like your energy has such a strong influence if someone's listening to you or not. So if you're unsure, there might be someone who's going to try and convince you to do that more. 100%. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, I noticed that that shift within myself from being really insecure about telling people that I wasn't drinking to actually owning it and saying it with confidence. And it takes time, right? Like exercising a muscle almost of getting more comfortable in that but you really do communicate so so much with your body language and the energy you bring. Yeah, 100%. It's like once you're confident in it, then other people will also be like, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. Something that just came up for me as you were speaking, I'd be curious to hear about your perspective on this. So when you're working with people, do you tend to have a different approach with people who are more introverted and extroverted with managing their energy? Is that something that comes up? Yeah. So when I'm working with companies, I'll give four to five energizers per pain point. So like, say we're doing the two to 3 PM slump. Some will be a little bit sillier. I like the sillier ones because I just find if I'm doing something silly in general, my energy gets lifted up. But then I know other people who are maybe more introverted or shy, they don't they don't want a silly one. They want one that's very practical and easy to implement no matter where they are. And they don't have to worry about someone looking at them. So I give different energizers so people can do the one that feels right for them. And then when I work with clients, it's very personalized. So I'm constantly meeting them where they're at. Oh, nice. And what are, you mentioned this like 2 to 3 p.m. slump. What are some of the energizing habits that you do for that time period? Because that's definitely one that I can relate to. Yeah. So yeah, I know the 2 to 3 p.m. slump is actually the equivalent of being at the legal limit of drinking alcohol, the impact it has on your brain, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. So if you can during 2 to 3, it's like the one time to not feel guilty taking... I mean, you don't. you shouldn't feel guilty no matter what during the day. But like if you do you feel guilty taking a longer break than 2 to 3 p.m. is a really good time to actually take it because you know that your brain capacity is lower anyway. But there's little things you can do. Like I'm, I'm looking upward right now. If you look up at the sky or the ceiling, that's going to start to wake up your brain because it's going to activate certain neurons in your brain that are going to signal, okay, hey, wake up now. And if you just think about it when you wake up in the morning, 
naturally your eyes are going up. What happens when you fall asleep? You're looking down. And so it makes sense that that has that impact on you and your energy levels. The problem today is we're constantly looking down at our phones or our laptops. And so it's constantly putting us in that state of wanting to go sleep, draining our energy. So right now I'm, I literally have like three big pillows <laughs> that the laptop's on. And that way I just know I'm always looking up. And while you do that, even you can raise your arms up because if you raise your arms up, then that will improve your blood flow or your blood circulation. So a big thing with ice baths, what does it do? Why does it make you feel so alert and awake? It improves your blood circulation, your blood flow. So that's one you can look up and then also put your arms up. Another one is drinking. Yeah, you can try I want to do it with you. I'm like, okay. It's, yeah, typically I would put a good song on and that of course will boost your energy even more. And then drinking warm water will also improve your blood circulation, your blood flow. 2 to 3 p.m. is when I I have I'm I don't really love gum that much, but I'll just get like mint gum. If I really need to focus on something, that will improve your ability to focus and concentrate. So those Why are a few. That? I've seen you share that before on social media, and I had never heard gum having that effect. So I'm curious about that one. Yeah. So all of the energizers like gum or like looking up at the ceiling, they're just activating certain neurons in your brain that are sending signals to be more alert, be more focused. And even I do one on Instagram, like the finger dancing. So the neurons in your fingers are linked to the neurons in your brain. So I was even doing with like boys and girls club, the little kids, I was having them do thumb wars (laughs) because you're moving your fingers. That's activating your neurons. So that's even another one, but yeah, it all has to do with waking up certain neurons in your brain. Yeah. So powerful. And I mean, some of it's so simple too. You could do it right underneath your desk too, like with the finger dancing or. Exactly. That's the point. It's like, these are just simple things. Putting your computer on an elevation, it's such an easy thing to get in the habit of where you don't necessarily need to look up and put your arms up during the day. Yeah. And how are these workshops received when it comes to bringing this into companies? I would imagine, I feel like wellness is kind of a buzzword now in corporate settings, but I'd be curious how it's been for you navigating those conversations and getting people on board with prioritizing, energizing habits and all of that. Yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting, especially with like the word wellness, we tend to think of wellness as the ability to recharge and relax and not necessarily perform at our best. And then we tend to think of like performance as this thing where you have to go all out. It's very tiring. It takes a lot of energy where I think that energizing habits is really great at that center because you can feel better just incorporating these small energizers that are so easy and you can also perform better. It's one of my clients has one of their key values is being thoughtful. So did you think about the way you were going to respond in that email in a thoughtful way before asking a question about it, before like saying to your coworker, hey, do you know what I should say in this email? Or before just responding in a very quick way that might not have answered the client's question. And when our energy slumps, you want to go to your coworker and say like, how do I answer this? Or you want to just get the email out. You're not truly embodying that value. And so companies, I think at first, because people don't typically talk about energy and the hacks are 
unique things that I was able to create over time. It's kind of like, oh, how is this really going to work? Like, is it really going to improve performance? But then once they get going, they're like, okay, yeah, people are being a lot more thoughtful. They're being a lot more conscientious. But I think that it's definitely hard today to break through that clutter, especially if you're grouped into the wellness bucket. Right. It's interesting how you tie it into values. Is that something that you do in your workshops and working one-on-one with people is first identifying what their individual values are? Yeah. So for individuals, it's more so like, what are the goals you want to achieve? What do you what do you want to get to? What's your purpose? And then with companies, it has a lot to do with values and how when our energy is slumping throughout the day, you can't embody those values yes. because you don't have energy to, you're not thinking about it. And it's even, I just like, there's so many times throughout the day, which I'm sure you notice if you have amazing energy and something bad happens, you're just like, okay, this is an obstacle that I can overcome. It's not that big of a deal. But when your energy is down, you want to go to that place of like, uh, why does this always happen? Or maybe you get really upset with somebody or you say something you don't mean. And it's like, if you can literally just incorporate something so small, then you have the opportunity to at least act from a higher place, a place that you're more proud of. Yes, 100%. I mean, I really find energy management is so important when it comes to sobriety too, because you are so much less at risk for cravings and succumbing to cravings and grabbing for that drink at the end of a day or whenever it is that you feel triggered if your energy isn't completely depleted. Exactly. It's like when you're feeling good, you're not going to be as enticed to, I'm going to go grab that drink. When you have good energy, you tend to make better choices. And when you are feeling depleted or drained, then you tend to make choices that you're not proud of. Another thing I was thinking of and just kind of drawing this connection and why I love that you brought values into it is I think a lot of times the indicator for people that makes them want to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol is that their behavior is no longer aligning with their deeper values. For example, being a parent that's present for their kids or being someone who shows up early for work and is reliable and all of these things. And I think sometimes slipping away from our values can be a really good indicator that something might need to be reevaluated. Yeah, it's so true. And even having that awareness, I think it's amazing to have that awareness that I am slipping away from my values. And every time if if you're drinking, then you're like, I'm not being a present parent and I'm not okay with that. Just that simple awareness leaves the space to make those changes. So yeah, I mean, I think even knowing that and knowing your values, but how often do we take time to even focus on that and understand that? It's like, what are what are the values that I believe in? And how do I embody that every single day? Yes. And how do you get down to that with the people that you work with? How do you identify what your values are? It seems like something that we would all know about ourselves. But like you said, we don't always take the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, typically, it's so interesting too, because and I know I keep going back to companies just because it's so much of what I do. But there's some companies who are so like, if you ask them their values, they're immediately, I know, conscientiousness, and thoughtfulness. That is what we're constantly driving home to our employees each and every day. 
But then even a founder that I was speaking to today who has like $50 million worth of funding, like over a hundred employees, he's like, I've never, we've never done values as a company. I don't even know. And then I'm like, well, what are the values that you believe in as an individual? Just showing up for your leadership position every single day. And then he had his like three core values that he goes to. But it's interesting that you can go so long and like be so successful without even establishing that. But eventually there's going to be that friction that's caused in your life or in your company if you don't know it. Because then it's how, why do you care what actions you take? Is there any intention behind them? 100%. Yeah, you could be so so much more easily influenced, I guess, if you're not really rooted in your own core values. Exactly. 100%. So yeah, typically with individuals, I just take the time to really understand that and really dig into their behaviors and then start to see, okay, well, if you have these consistent behaviors, this must be your value. And sometimes those behaviors are not the most positive. And so they'll say, oh, no, no, (laughs) I just got off track. So that's not a value of mine. So sometimes it's just important to know what you're doing and what value that's bringing about in your life. And if you don't want it there anymore. And do you also work with people on breaking unwanted habits in addition to implementing these new healthy energizing habits? I believe if you implement enough good habits, then the bad ones will naturally leave. Of course, I am not a sobriety expert, so it's different with addiction or alcohol. So I don't want to speak to that. But oftentimes what I find, like, for example, one of my clients, she was having a really hard time keeping weight off for the long term. And she would do a bunch of fad diets and she would just swing. So I said, just start by at 6 p.m. when you wrap up work, put your sneakers by your desk and take a five-minute walk. So then that five-minute walk ended up turning into a 30-minute walk and she would call a friend or a family member. So then not only was she getting exercise, but she got to connect with loved ones. And then after she's like, I would just take this long walk. So then naturally I wanted to eat healthier. And it has that sort of momentum that builds. And I think sometimes when we focus too much on our negative habits, it makes things harder. It's like we're forced to give something up. But what if we just incorporated things that were really fun and exciting and naturally you stop wanting to do the other stuff? Yes. Yeah, I think it aligns perfectly when it comes to the conversation about alcohol. Obviously, there's added challenges with addiction, but I think it's important for people who are looking at reevaluating their relationship, core things that you just mentioned, not overly focusing on. That's what happens. We focus so hard And the one thing that we have to give up, it's like all about the alcohol and not all the other things that are opening up on the other side of it. And then I love what you said too, about just putting the shoes by the door and having, starting with a five minute walk, like that just seems so simple and accessible. Exactly. We're so all or nothing. I think a lot of times it's like, I need to lose 30 pounds and like have the perfect diet or I can't do anything at all. But then what happens is every year you say you want to eat healthier and work out more, whatever it may be, travel more. I need to travel the entire globe. But what if you just started with something so teeny because the whole point of habits is just to create that momentum to get you to your goal and not be something that like feels so hard and challenging. But even what you said about drinking, I think if you have that 
let's say like a nighttime ritual where when you leave work every day, you wrap up at 5 p.m., then you have a glass of wine and you watch a show. And then once you decide you're going to give up drinking, then it's like, oh, but what do I do with that time? But if you then spend an hour just coming up and brainstorming all these different ideas, it then starts to become exciting. Like, oh, I could take a hike. Oh, I could see my friends more. I could take pottery club, whatever it may be. But there's opportunity to, I think, always replace a negative habit or a bad habit in your life with something that's so much fun. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I remember for me, I had this nightly wine ritual and then it became tea and I became so into these different types of teas to the point that I really, really looked forward to it. And I've loved hearing like people in our community have gotten really into like arts and crafts and picked up new exercise classes or whatever that might be. So I think that's such a good point. Yeah. And I love that because if you're going to these different classes too, it gives you that sense of community as well, where you get to meet people who are on that same or similar path of just being the best and most healthy version of themselves. I want to also learn more about your tea one time to know which are the the drink and when. Yeah. You know, one more thing that you just this morning you shared about too, and it was so relevant to this conversation. I had actually aggregated a whole bunch of different examples that had come up on the podcast related to how language is so important to describing our experience. And to give you some examples, you know, like the difference of saying substance abuse versus substance misuse and labeling things as healthy and unhealthy versus adaptive and maladaptive. And I could go on and on. I even thought of more after I posted it, but you had shared something just this morning about how our language is really important when it comes to sharing about our habits. And I think it was the things we have to do, or do you remember Mm -hmm. what the post was? Yeah, it was turning what if into even if. Yes. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Is that a big part of what you incorporate into what you do is how we speak about things? Yeah. Even like oftentimes the words that we're using get us into the stress out state, which is then draining our energy. So the what if and even if our brain is constantly using the language as information, if it should predict threat or not. And so if you're constantly saying like, oh my God, what if, what if this happens? What if this happens? Your brain is constantly saying, okay, I'm going to predict threat. I'm predicting threat. Where if you say, even if, even if this thing that I'm so worried about happens, I'll still be okay. Or even if that happens, then I'll grow a, a, another muscle. I'll become stronger. I'll be able to go into my internal flow more. Your body is going to have such a different reaction to that. And I think when we're implementing habits, I am like thinking of this person vividly in my head. She has arthritis in her fingers and she was really upset in the beginning of her session because she's like, I don't want to have to do these exercises. Like, why do I have to spend 20 extra minutes every morning where if I didn't have this issue, I wouldn't have to do that. But I'm like, oh my God, this is so exciting because it gives you the ability to develop such a strong routine for yourself because you have this obstacle in your life where if you didn't and you just you know, didn't need to do anything for yourself, then you would never grow that muscle. In the long term, this is going to help you so much more. And I think it's so important to look at our language and not be overly judgmental of it either. Like, 
it can be, oh, why did I, why did I say that word? Or I know better than this. Or if you have that one friend, do you have a friend like this? I have one friend like this. It drives me crazy. If I say I should have done that, they're like, no, there's no such thing as should have. And I'm like, oh, I'm just speaking. <laughs> like, I know you're right, but let me just speak. And so I think also being okay and not being overly judgmental, but paying attention to it and starting to transform it over time has a really big impact on the way you feel. You bring up such a good point because sometimes, you know, we go in with the intention of, learning about ways to optimize our health and well-being and develop ourselves. And then we can become such a perfectionist about it. And so self-critical, like we have to get it just right. And sometimes exactly language can be so helpful and eye-opening and really shift our perception, but also we can't be perfect all the time. (laughs) I think that's a really good example. I think that's the hardest part of the growth path, honestly, is not judging ourselves when we don't get it right. Because then you can just ruminate in that. It's like, I know better. I shouldn't have done that. But you'll just do better next time. Like that moment already passed. And it's nothing to beat yourself up over. Because then, yeah, you're just, you're not going to feel good about it. And then you're not going to eventually want to continue because it's just so hard to reach that standard of perfection, which is impossible. Exactly. We have to remember why we're doing all of this in the first place, right? It's like not to make ourselves have more internal dilemmas and problems, but to actually experience more freedom and joy and lightness in life, right? Exactly. Yeah. And feeling free to speak from your heart. And if it doesn't come out perfectly, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that example that you gave too, with how you helped that woman reframe her challenge with her arthritis into something that was actually going to really help her grow and evolve and and learn these new practices, because that really is, to me, one of the greatest gifts about realizing that alcohol is no longer having a place in your life. And sometimes that does start because you've had some form of negative consequence. Maybe that's something that's happened. You've disappointed yourself. For some people, there's more serious rock bottoms, but for that to be the moment where you wake up and you start to tune into conversations like this, where, you know, you start to learn about new ways to energize your habits and create new lifestyle changes. I think there can be a real blessing in that. 100%, 100%. Because you don't want it like every situation that we have or every experience, if again, we have that awareness, because there's, there can be situations where people continue to go down that dark path. And no matter what happens, it doesn't seem to influence them in terms of like really changing and going on the growth journey and just finding that inward flow. But every obstacle, if you even have that awareness that, okay, I'm not where I know I can be, or this doesn't match my values to even have that. It's like, it's such an amazing thing. Yes. To have the awareness. That's where it all begins, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I just love having this conversation with you. And I know you're just loaded with all these different tricks. I mean, you're so generous with everything that you share online with your videos. And I know you do more training. So can you speak a bit about where people can connect with you and what the best way would be to continue learning from you for people who are listening? Yes. 
on social media, all of my channels, so YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram are all energizing hacks. No extra things. I like took all the handles for energizing hacks, even the underscored one. So the real one, the main one is just energizing hacks, nothing else to it. And yeah, if anybody ever has any questions, you can always DM or comment and I respond. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much during this conversation. And I'm really excited to putting these little things into practice that you shared. So thank you. Yes, amazing. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll do more together too. So you have others you can choose from. But thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Mm-hmm.